Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's The Upper Room. Our podcast discusses Sunday messages from Pastor Don, looks at the recent news headlines, and any updates on our congregation and upcoming events. Leading the discussion is our church leadership with invited special guests. We hope you enjoy it and find it informative. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfc4u.org. Now let's get going. All right, well, this is Scott Kimball. I'm one of the elders here at Bible Fellowship Church, and with me tonight is fellow elder Bob Wren. Good evening, everyone. Good to have you here with us, Bob. And also with us tonight is our sound engineer, Andrew Kimball. They want me to be a deacon. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes. He just threw that right out there. Yes. <laughs> you and Zach. We can run vote the, me in. We can right. run the ordinance right now, if you'd like. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll lay hands on the screen. <laughs> I got twice as many write-ins as Zach. I'd like to just point that out. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a popularity contest, Andrew. <laughs> Uh, but if it were, but if it were, right. but if it were, so, all right. So I wanted to start out just by encouraging our audience out there to share, um, leave a review, like our podcast, whatever, but just make sure you're telling your friends and, and acquaintances about it. Even if they don't attend our church, uh, I think they can get some value out of our discussions. Uh, some discussions maybe more so than others, but, uh, we try to put out some content that, that we think is valuable for the church today. Um, you know, dealing with the culture is, has been a, a thing for the church since its inception. And, uh, the church has always had to kind of be an alternative to whatever the popular culture was at the time. Uh, we did enjoy a little time there for a while where in the United States, the church was a pretty major influencer on the culture, but, uh, those days have passed. And so I think at this point, we're going to talk a little bit later in one of the articles, um, kind of about some of that as well. But I just want to encourage you that, uh, you know, God is still in control and uh, things are falling in line with his plans, his designs, and that we need to have faith in that and uh, be encouraging to one another about that. So uh, with that said, I wanted to go ahead and get started on talking about the Sunday uh, message. So this week, uh, Pastor Don was back in the book of Isaiah again, talking about the Isaiah apocalypse. And uh, but he briefly mentioned and went over the five additional oracles that uh, were presented in the chapters leading up to that. Um, they're really short, so he, he didn't spend a lot of time other than just reading them and, and not even really explaining them. But um, most of them are nations that we've never even heard of before. Obviously, whatever the oracle was concerning those nations came true. So <laughs> they're no longer around. Wasn't so, one like regarding the sea or something? Correct. Yeah, yeah, something of vision. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was the one about Arabia, which obviously Arabia is still around, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, but uh, some of the other countries that were mentioned uh, was a Duma and mm-hmm. um, was Media and some other ones that, that Qadar, you know, that they're not, they're not around anymore. We don't know anything about those uh, nations, those peoples. So anyways, uh, initial thoughts or impressions, uh, themes that you came up with on this message? Well, I mean, Don kind of tipped us off at the start where he went through and highlighted the, anytime it said the earth, 
mm-hmm. and, and put it in a purple box. So, um, uh, striking, striking what's in ahead for the earth, um, coming up. And it's, it's not a pretty picture. I mean, uh, he said something to the effect, will be completely laid waste, completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. It's completely laid waste. I mean, you can. it'd be easy just kind of skim over that, but <laughs> how can you not come away and say, that's significant, man. That's completely laid waste. Um, so what's that even look like? And, I mean, Don kind of took some time there to say, you know, well, you know, that's the God of the Old Testament. You know, how this this kind of passage is poo-pooed and not really taken seriously. Um, but then he did go into um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and show that, well, no, not only is it in the Old Testament, but God is the same throughout Old Testament and New Testament. And he's talking about the same thing in uh, Thessalonians and certainly in Revelation. Yeah, and also in Matthew. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I think, well, didn't Don say the longest sermon Christ gave was on the mm-hmm. end times? Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, but what yeah, really uh, kind of hit me a little bit was that that uh, Second Thessalonians passage where he was really laying a lot of um, thought for us as believers, as um, the church, as to what our real mission is in this, um, how we're supposed to be right now, and how it seems like uh, we're falling short of that. I mean, I've done some soul searching because of it, you know. He, there was se- several times that he asked, you know, go ahead and raise your hand or say something. Or, and it's like, wow, I don't know that I could, even mm-hmm. if he hadn't stopped it right there. It's like, um, I'm glad he did stop short of that because uh, I I don't know that I could have, you know, given the old hearty amen, you know. Right. No, I agree. Tander, thoughts? I guess the point that comes to mind that I... uh most easily recall was when he was using the like the bookshelf metaphor hmm. and he was using like his carpentry skills as a bookshelf and driving nails into drywall and stuff but then he said something to the effect of you know the peg is going to give way and the shelf is going to collapse and essentially that's us trying to hold things together with we're trying to pin something up with our with something in our lives or some you know accomplishment that we've done or something we think we are but that's all just going to come shattering down that's an illusion essentially so you have to kind of you have to lean on or rely on on the right thing and not yourself yeah, yeah. what what is good. the right right thing then you know it, when obviously we're not relying upon ourselves so what is the right thing to rely upon and the correct answer would be you know the one who's eternally um, consistent throughout all eternity, which would be God the Father, right? Right. As God. revealed in his word. Yeah, As through revealed. his word. That's what yeah. I was going to say. But, you know, Don didn't really get into chapter 24 at all. He kind of <laughs> talked a bit about it and, and suggested that we go through and read it um, this this week in chapter 25 as well. And what I found kind of odd is that in reading 24, there's all this doom and gloom, and then right in the middle of it, there's this, and almost as if the whole world would be praising God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other side of that, we're back to doom and gloom again. And uh, I'm interested to see, well, what's that all about? I mean, because, you know, obviously you're talking about, I think, the millennial kingdom at that point when you're talking right. about where he says, oh, let's see. Now they raise their voices. They shout for joy. They cry out from the West concerning the majesty of the Lord. They therefore glorify the Lord in the East 
the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in, in the coastlands of the sea. And from the ends of the earth, we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. And so there's in there, this. it sounds like when all the kingdoms come to Jerusalem and Christ is ruling on the throne there, the throne of David. And then just the other, verse, the other side of that, uh, you, you get Isaiah saying, but I say, woe to me, woe to me, alas for me, the treacherous deal treacherously. So we're back into the um, things aren't back, you know, things don't look so good there. So mm. I'm interested to see um, Don expose this a little bit exposit you know what's going on there yeah no that'll be interesting i kind of wonder wonder about that too i thought it was interesting how he talked initially about the apocalypse and i think uh, who was it said it, it was the revealing was that uh, jacob, roy jacob jacob said, okay uh, the revealing, yeah <clears throat> and uh, and so yeah the that, unveiling the unveiling that's what it was right unveiling yeah and so that's literally what it is but then don went into the whole thing about what would be the modern thought about the word apocalypse and of course it's destruction and you know chaos and you know post you know there's all kind of post-apocalyptic movies and whatnot asteroids yeah all kind of crazy stuff and and, um and but when when you get into the chapter and what it's talking about in chapter 24 laid waste all that yeah that's basically (laughs) that's basically what it's talking about but um it's um, it's funny in the culture in which we live when these apocalyptic um, um, scenes come up, movies, themes, you know, zombies, uh, asteroids, um, tidal waves. Don't forget a virus. A virus. But they never seem to have anything to do in the context of there being a God who right. created it all. It, it's all something that you know, is either coming in that we have no control over or that we did to ourselves because of tampering with uh, things that we shouldn't tamper with. But there's never any sense that there's a God in heaven who's bringing this about because he's had enough, you know, and it's it's time to settle scores. And I, I think that's that's a real problem because I do sense that maybe in in the past when something happened of that, that type of magnitude in the world, that um, the people of the world looked to God to wonder, all right, what have we done? And, you know, what can we do to make this right? Where I don't think that it really crosses the mind of the vast majority of people in, in today's world or society is, you know, all right, what have we done to offend God? Right. No, that's true. I, I've often thought and wondered if Satan, you know, he's he's the big deceiver and he, he mimics or he... Um, takes the things of the Lord and counterfeits it to his own purposes a lot of the times. And so I've kind of wondered, you know, with all the movies and everything that have come out about the apocalypse and about zombies and alien abductions and all this kind of crazy stuff, if that isn't prepping people's minds for the day when the dead do rise out of the graves and we are taken up into the air to be with the Lord that somehow they'll be able to explain that away as some kind of an alien abduction or whatever. And people will believe it because they've been raised with this in the culture, thinking that this is something that's even possible. I could see that. That, that makes a lot of sense, really. You know? So, you know, just random thoughts, but. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did anything. see something the other day, man. Yeah. It was, uh, I was watching that last star Wars movie and I throughout all these. I know. <laughs> and so throughout all these Star Wars movies, it, there's basically been it's the Force, 
force be with you, dark side, light side, but never any mention of God, you know? Mm. And well, maybe it wasn't the last Star Wars movie. It was that one where uh, the lady turned the uh, Star Destroyer and ran it into the big uh, um, Empire Destroyer while the other guys escaped to the planet below to, you know, put up a defense. Well, anyway, as they're leaving, she says, God be with you. And that's the first mm. reference to God I ever had heard in a Star Wars movie. And I was wondering, well, how does that all play out? Because nobody here seems to have any any type of religion whatsoever other than the force, you know, the dark side, the light side. So why why would you say God be with you? Yeah. You know, it didn't, didn't make sense in that context. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Was that like Rogue One? I think so. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it was the eighth one. It was the eighth movie huh. where... Um, they were in this, they were trying to escape, but they were jumping, um, warp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, somehow they were able to track them. And so they couldn't get away from them. Interesting. Yeah. God oh really- yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I've watched that movie maybe twice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, interesting. And you can definitely see it in our culture that our culture's doing everything it can to be post-Christian. I mean, that's kind of the direction they want to see it go because they see the, the church and Christianity and religion in general is an impediment for their designs of what they want to accomplish in society. Well, if anything, it's holding back, you know, the desired changes that they like to see. So. Exactly. Any other aha moments or anything in the message? Anything that stuck out to you? Obviously, I, well, the second half about the earth, but. The, uh, you know, Don's uh, going into Second Thessalonians chapter one, I thought was really convicting. It really was. So I'm still reading it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. All righty. Uh, well, let's go ahead and move on then. The um, articles that I sent you guys, I want to look at the Civility Project one first. And this was an article that appeared in the Epic Times. And the headline of the article is the Civility Project is helping dial back the vitriol um, by Catherine Yang. And let's see, it was original. Well, I guess it was published and updated on the same day. <laughs> Interesting. September 22nd, 2020. If you want to look it up and see the article. Um, I didn't want to go too deeply in the article. I thought the article was was pretty interesting. I like what they're trying to do. I'm, I'm interested to actually research a little more and find out more about the Civility Project and see w- what its roots are and what its, what its goals or its mission is, you know, beyond just having a civil discourse um, between people that um, don't necessarily agree with each other politically. Um, what did you guys come out with after looking at the article? Um, first thing I found myself doing was I'd already assigned who was the liberal and who was the conservative to the pictures Oh yeah, without, <laughs> without reading it, it which I, 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 I stopped myself and forced myself to read it without figuring out who was who until it was all over with. Um, but that was a prime example of, you know, going into a situation with already assumed, uh, you know, I've, I've made some decisions already before I've even listened to anything that either one of them had to say. Mm. Um, the other term that came up was, um, constructive conversation, which is something that is very rare anymore. You have to really work at it. And then the other thing that they had to say was about, um, really listening to somebody. There was a scene in, um, uh, Pulp Fiction, where uh, John Travolta and uh, Uma Thurman were out on sort of like a, a pseudo date. And so she she asked Travolta this question. She says, 
you know, when you're listening to somebody, are you waiting to talk? Are you waiting for the person who's talking to finish talking so that you can say something? You're just waiting to talk. Are you actually listening to what they say? And I thought, wow, you know, you, you stop and think about that yourself. When somebody's talking to me, am I just waiting for them to finish whatever they're saying so that I can jump in there and say what I need to say or want to say? Um, and if if you stop and take a look at yourself in the midst of listening to somebody, a lot of times I find that I'm just I've already decided what's what and mm. I'm ready to just jump in there as soon as you'll finish talking so that I can tell you what's what. And I think that was at the heart of this issue right now is to go in to a conversation with somebody who's got a differing opinion of uh, from you and listen, listen to what yeah. they say and, and don't have any preconceived notions about what they're going to say, what they believe, what they're coming from. Um, but um, actually listen to what they're saying. Um, and, and then I think it was, it might've been this article might've been the, the next one where it says that um, basically you have to have um, it, it. It's assumed that you have, common goals and that that may be the next article where if you have if you both have common goals to want to see a better outcome of but you just have different methods of getting there well then we can have a civil discourse a civil Mm -hmm. discussion because i think that was this one we have Mm -hmm. a common a common goal in mind it's only when we don't have common goals where that's where we find ourselves really wrapped around the axle about that. And I think in, in a lot of cases today, that's where we find ourselves is the goals are no longer common anymore. Right. That's very true. Andrew? I mean, I don't think there's too much I can add to what Bob said. He covered a lot of it. I think the the two big standout things for me were definitely listening. People don't listen anymore, not like actively listen. It's like Bob was saying, they're just waiting for their turn to talk. But the other thing is just the willingness to have a conversation and just to to go in and actually be willing to talk to somebody that's different from you or has just different political beliefs. Politics is such like a, I don't know what, what the term is, but it's like you avoid it at all costs. There was, you know, the, there was stories in this article about like two friends that had, they had been runners and they ran every morning, but they made a point never to talk about politics because they didn't want to ruin their friendship. It's like, Mm -hmm. why is that the one thing? And maybe not the one thing, but why is that one of the things that we can't talk about? Like it's gonna, why is that more important than our friendship, I guess? And so that, that kind of stood out to me. There has to be the willingness to want to talk about it. And then you actually be able to listen and actively listen. I think something that I don't really think they touched on, they did say that they had to switch to Zoom when the pandemic hit. So obviously they're using technology and some sort of social media or something like that. But I think that social media is one of the like number one causes to why people don't have real conversations. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that being anonymous, being able to hide behind a screen, you can just throw whatever words out there that you want without any sort of fear of retaliation. Like if you put two people across a table from each other, they're naturally just going to have a much more respectful conversation generally than they would through social media. Now you see all these videos and stuff of people screaming in each other's faces out on the streets, wherever during protests or, you know, whatever. But in general, if I'm talking to you through a Facebook comment thread, I can say whatever I want. You're not mm-hmm. going to be able to touch me. 
But if we're sitting across from each other, and we're actually talking that changes things quite a bit. And I think that, so I think social media is kind of maybe started or pushed this downward spiral faster than it would have been without it. Well, in, from the next article, it, it delineates between public discourse and private discourse. Private right. discourse being you and me sitting across a table and speaking, whereas public discourse being when you put something on social media, it's made public. Right. It's yeah. out there. And so there's a difference there. One of the things I liked about this article was um, at the bottom of it, they were talking about building friendships and how important it was to build those friendships in order to to have that something beyond just your political affiliations. And I saw something earlier this week where they were, they were talking about some of the changes that happened in Congress. And one of the reasons Congress has become so dysfunctional is because it used to be um, actually, and, and part of it's Newt Gingrich's fault. Um, it used to be before the 93 Congress came in and Newt Gingrich was the speaker of the house and kind of changed the rules that when you got elected to Congress, you were expected to buy a house in D.C. and you were expected to live there um, at least for a good chunk of the year, normally like through the school season. So your kids went to the same schools as everybody else's kids in D.C. And so, I mean, there were private schools for, you know, congressional people, but your kids were your kids were going to the same school that the people on you know the opposite party were going to. And they would be weekend uh, cocktail parties and things like that, where everybody was invited, Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever. And you built friendships. And so even though you may vehemently disagree with each other on a policy or whatever, there was always that friendship in the background. You knew you had to kind of not go too far because you had to deal with this person on the weekends and their wife was going to be mad at you or whatever. Um, you know, your wife and their wife were probably very good friends. And uh, you didn't want to destroy that over politics. And so there was a little more civility involved. And one of the things Gingrich did when he got in there was he changed the rules. Because I think he mistakenly thought that the two sides were getting too cozy. And they were kind of marching down the same path together. And he didn't he didn't want that. He wanted a, a separation so that, you know, people, um, conservatives at least, could kind of stay more pure and not be tainted by the the leftist thing, you know, they called it Potomac fever at the time, you know, when you went to Washington, you got Potomac fever and pretty soon you were a big government, you know, spending, spending everybody's money kind of guy. And uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought it was good that this article brought that back up, that there is, there is value in building those friendships so that you have something to fall back on beyond, you know, just your um, day-to-day political existence. Yeah. Well, at the end, uh, it gave an example that they were at a party Mm-hmm. Um, and there were two ladies came over to the, the conservative guy after he had been talking with the liberal guy that was his friend. And they said, well, why were you talking to this guy? Don't you know who that is? Don't you know what he who? And, and so he turns to them and says, have you ever talked to him? And they says, well, no, of course not. Mm-hmm. He says, well, he's right over there. Why go don't talk you to tra- him. go talk to him? And then the article says two hours later, they came back and said, what a lovely gentleman that was, you know? Yeah. And so he's a super nice guy. (laughs) Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how, how often would that be the case if we actually talk to somebody that we've already made up our mind about that? There's no way that me and me and that person can ever be friends because, you know, they're, they're uh, a Republican and I'm a Democrat or vice versa. Yeah. Politics really is in its 
basic sense is just the exchange or the discussion or the debate of over ideas. And uh, it shouldn't be this this awful thing that separates families and, you know, siblings can't even talk to each other. And, and you know, and I, you can't even go on social media anymore because everything you read just makes you mad kind of thing. And and it shouldn't be that way. And I think if there's a way that maybe the church can kind of help um, push this idea of civility, this idea of trying to build friendships and relationships where you like, I think you said earlier, I think it was very important where you have a common um, common cause, you know, both sides want the best for the country. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, I don't, I don't know that the far left or the far right necessarily want the best for the country. You know, those are the ones who were calling to burn it all down. And, uh, you know, I don't, and they're hoping some great glorious new thing will rise up out of the ashes, I guess. But for those of us with, I think a little common sense and willingness to, to see from the other person's point of view, I think we, I think we can get to a, a place of civility. But maybe I'm just being optimistic. I mean, I think that at this point, the the, I mean, every system has flaws, right? And I think that our flaws are just really showing, like, and manifesting maybe worse than they ever have, or worse, obviously, than we've seen. Maybe in history, it's gotten bad before, and so, yeah, I think it. I, I think ultimately it's time for some sort of a shakeup or a fix, but I just don't know what that is. The a third party might, you know, help. That's what a lot of people say is let's shake it up. Let's add a third party in there. So it's not just these two going back and forth, but I'm, I'm not educated enough really in politics to say for sure what, what we need to do. But I kind of agree with that only because I think that ha- having two parties, it, it ends up being a sporting event where it's our side versus your side. Right. And so it, no, my side can't do anything wrong and your side does everything wrong. And that's just kind of how they approach it. Yeah. Everything's and gone it's all extreme. about defeating. Yeah. And everything's about defeating the other side. You know, there's, there's no, there's no statesmanship. There's nothing about compromise and coming together and coming to a good solution that, you know, most everybody can be happy with. It's all about defeating your opponent, you know, as though it was a football game or something. When really we're all on the same team. We're supposed to be, you know, supposed all, to be. It's all our country. Yep. Supposed to be. Conan, what is best in life? Cross your enemies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's right. I blame Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Cross your enemies. All right. The second article is called When Christians Lose Their Minds, People Lose Their Faith. And this is an article by Kerry Newhoff, who, um, you know, our church has done some of his studies and stuff trying to help our church to grow and get on track. And he does He's got his own website and his own ministry. He was a pastor for many years and, and developed a large church called, um, uh, what is it, Connexus or something like that up in Canada. And um, But since has gone on to becoming a consultant for other churches to kind of help them get through some of their difficulties and begin to grow again. And so he, he often has some pretty interesting takes. Now, this is off his blog site, so it's not always polished. Uh, sometimes it's just his random thoughts on things, but I thought this one was actually pretty good. So you guys got a chance to take a look at it. Any initial thoughts on it? Well, like I'd already said, he, he said in there, um, social media has moved us all into the public discourse and the world is watching. Your friends are watching and listening. And so are on church people. And so, you know, we're no longer not in public discourse when we we post things on Facebook or 
whatever Snapchat or re- the rest of that stuff. So, right. Um, and he said, because of that, um, you could lose influence that you otherwise would have had, you know, by just one careless um, comment or something that somebody takes the wrong way, even if they take it the wrong way and you didn't mean it that way. The point is, is that it went out there publicly, they took it the wrong way, and now you no longer have influence with that person because of it. Yeah. Uh, and he did yeah, say I thought that, that was really good. You're either you're either building influence or you're losing it. You're not you're not standing still and holding it intact. You're moving forward or backwards. Yep. And you lose it a lot quicker than you build it. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yeah. Lifetime building a second to lose, he said, I think. Yep. Yep. Kind of like working out in a gym. Takes you forever to get that atlas body and it takes about a week of not working out for it to all go away <laughs> that and cheese pizza man <laughs> i was gonna say even just dieting yeah you yeah. diet for what feels like forever and you eat like one thing of ice cream and it's over yeah pretty much yeah this article i agreed with pretty much all the way throughout it i thought that like just taking the bullet points uh i thought him saying despite what you think God isn't a Republican Democrat or independent was, was pretty good. A good way to frame that. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, my mom, we get my mom's mail here. And so she was getting a copy of charisma magazine and on the front was, uh, Donald Trump and charisma telling us why God was on Trump's side. Oh, wow. Like, oh my goodness. You know, come <laughs> on. So yeah, you know, God's not a Republican, a Democrat or an independent. Yeah. yeah. And then he made the point too down here, the like two points I thought they're kind of obvious, but hard, like, I guess simple, but not easy. You've got start real life relationships with people who are different than you, like we touched on a minute ago, and then start confessing, stop shaming and blaming, essentially worry about yourself. Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and point out their flaws, which is easier said than done. But the one I think that like I can most personally relate to is the sleep on it thing where he mentioned sleep on it, pray about it. As I've gotten older, there have been lots of times, fewer and fewer, but as I got older, lots of times where I would see something on Facebook, it would, you know, bring up emotions of some sort. I'd type out this long thing and then I'd go "Ah," and I'd delete it. Yeah. And I found that I was a lot happier when I did that once I, you know, because ultimately I would see this thing and my younger self would comment on it. Next thing I know, I'm arguing with whoever posted it for the next 30, 40 minutes, commenting this, commenting that. Other people are jumping in that I don't know. I'm arguing with them. And it's just, and it's pointless. Nobody ever won. Right. And so now it's like, for one thing, I don't think it's really worth it to get in those arguments because they're arguments. They're not a debate or a conversation. Right. And You're not so changing in, anybody's mind. And in the end, I feel better and I'm happier when I just, I move on and I forget about it versus if I were to have argued with that person for 30, 45 minutes, it could have damaged our relationship or, you know, made my whole evening like sour. And so that's something that I've personally gone through as I got older and, and can, attest to i guess hmm. right. i remember sailing as a captain uh the the, the captain that i was uh, working with and replacing would be uh he said now i've just got a piece of advice for you. he says you're going to get stuff coming in from the office um and a lot of it's just going to be outright stupid and he says now you're going to respond and he said what you need to do is type up the email be ready to send it 
but let it sit. He says, and get up in the following morning. If you still feel the same way, send it then. He says, but if you've gotten up and you've thought differently about it, you've saved yourself a lot of heartburn. And oh, yeah. absolutely words of wisdom, man. Yep. Good advice. Yeah. I thought the, uh, the number three point, the church is an alternative to culture, not a reflection of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really good that, you know, we are supposed to be set apart. I mean, that's really kind of what sanctified means, means set apart. So uh, the idea is, is that, um, you know, we have kind of our own culture, a Christian culture, if you will, and that it, it interfaces. It has to act on a daily basis with um, the common culture of our society. But we don't we don't need to let it influence who we are as believers. And if anything, um, we need to look for those opportunities when we can be an influencer and, and not, not let it be the other way around. I thought it was a good article. I thought there was some, some good things I liked about, you know, the, what is it? Uh, sleep on it, pray about it too. I thought that was really good. The confessing one, though, I thought was really important. And this is something that, especially as men, we don't do very well, is uh, confessing. Uh, We may not shame or blame or try to, you know, deflect to other people, but we're not always good about confessing either. And and confessing really deals with owning it, you know, that and you're not necessarily confessing it to a person. And obviously we're not Catholic, so we're not confessing it to a priest. So but, you know, you should confess it to the Lord. And, uh, you know, when you've messed up and you own it and say, you know, God, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I did this wrong. I know I screwed it up and, and, uh, help me to make amends with both you and anybody I might've, you know, caused difficulty by, uh, this, this decision. And I think that one act alone, not only would keep us in good standing with the Lord, but also I think would, would reap huge benefits with the other relationships of, of various people in our lives. Right. First John says that uh, if we confess our sins to him, that he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's it's, absolutely it's right. It's the act of confessing to him, you know, because ultimately if we've done something, he's the one we've wronged. You know, yes, we, we have wronged individuals and stuff like that, but ultimately we've broken his law. Uh, we've broken his commandments, and it's to him that we owe the apology. That's absolutely right. And I don't think you can effectively deal with what you've done to that other person until you make it right with the Lord first. Because right, right. then the Holy Spirit can give you the guidance and how to handle sure. whatever it is you did to that other person. Right. So I think it's hugely important. I think it's one of those things that, that we as men need to especially as guys we need to and and dads and fathers in our home need to need to work on being better at that yeah being I better did, at it i did like the uh the quote he took from solzhenitsyn he said if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroying them but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human um you know it we're always looking for evil somewhere outside of ourselves. And, and so, so rarely do we ever realize that the evil that we're condemning already exists within our own self. Hmm. Uh, and it requires a confessing to God about it so that he can get rid of it for us. Yeah, very true. And that goes back to our 
discussion about political viewpoints, too. I mean, it's very common for the right and the left to demonize one another and call each other evil and say the stance or the whatever they're taking is somehow evil. Uh, when really it's it's not. It's just a difference of opinion. And if they took some time to kind of hash out their differences, they'd probably come up with a better solution. But it's it's all about defeating. It's not about understanding. Anything else on these two articles you guys want to bring I, up? I, I thought it was interesting when he was talking about um, social media where he says, here's the irony. In an online culture run by algorithms, you don't mm-hmm. actually get more choices. You get fewer. That's so true. (laughs) The algorithms just kind of lump you and heap you with people that already think the same thing as you. Yeah, exactly. It's a marketing thing. They're, they're trying to make you feel good about being on their social media platform by constantly spoon feeding you folks that agree with you. So yeah, or articles that agree with you or whatever. And it's everywhere too. I mean, I get, I get all kind of, uh, stuff because they know I lean more conservative. I get all this conservative uh, media outlets and news media stuff and everything in my feeds. And I I actually have to go look for things that say something different than what I'm seeing that comes to me um, normally through their algorithm. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, it puts us in our bubbles, makes us more territorial. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then it would be really easy just to get comfortable there too. You know, right? if you're not paying attention. You know, back in the day, Baptists had a real strong stance against swearing, smoking, drinking, dancing, going to rated R movies. I think if they were still doing that today, they would include social media in that list. Probably. Stay away from it because <laughs> it's nothing but poison. And it's sad, too, because it could be such a good tool to keep in touch with family and whatnot. And But, you know, today with the technology we have now, I think you're maybe better off doing that kind of stuff with Zoom or some of these other things where you can actually have a real conversation. Right, right. Breeders family does that. And and now with their mom passed away and them getting into the, um, you know, estate and what we're going to do with it because there's 10 of them. Right. Uh, The only way to really do it is with Zoom. Otherwise, absolutely, it's it's just a mess. It would get ugly real fast, I'm sure. it, It can, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think social media is the craze is starting to swing the other way. Like people are getting turned off by it. Tr- you know, your traditional Facebook profile pages show your best selfie angle of your life kind of thing. Like it's definitely not as big as it was and there are people there's older people, you know, that have decided they don't want to be on it any but then there's people like my generation and younger I mean, Braden doesn't hardly ever get on actual Facebook. He might use the messenger to like shoot back messages with his friends and stuff, but right. the actual Facebook profiles and that part of it, he's rarely on there. And so I think it is kind of swinging the other way. People are looking for alternatives to interact with each other outside of, of what Facebook has become. Cause I mean, it didn't start out like this, but it's just right. what it has become as technology has gone on. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, Some of the things we have coming up is we're going to be starting the men's breakfast uh, on October 3rd, that Saturday. And uh, we'll be meeting it from eight to nine in the morning. And I think for the first meeting, I've got some ideas and uh, we'll see where things go from there. But we're going to meet every Saturday until I think the last meeting will be the Saturday before Thanksgiving. And then we'll break after that. So I want to say that's like eight weeks. Um, of meetings. 
So it should be pretty good. Um, I would encourage you guys to to come out for that. I think it'll be a good time of fellowship and get to know some of the other guys in the church. Um, and, it, you know, if, if you go to a different church and have some time on your hands, you know, we had David, your friend from uh, work who came a few times and I think he enjoyed it. I still run into him occasionally. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, uh, any other announcements, upcoming things you guys know about that you might want to add at this time? No, not that I can think of now. I know Brita on Sunday wanted to thank everybody for all oh. the work on getting the backpacks together and getting yeah. that ready to go. So that was a that's huge a big, help. Yeah. Huge deal. And it's a big ministry, you know, and Brita takes a lot of that on herself. And so I thought it was good that everybody showed up to kind of help get that last push mostly done. I'm, I understand there's still some few things that have to be yeah. buttoned up. But the the bulk of it, the majority of the work was done that, that day. So huge help. Yeah. Good. good. Thanks to everyone. And uh, so anyways, so uh, last thing I want to deal with is the Great Commission now. Um, We may have mentioned it last week. I don't remember or not. Um, It's been moved to October 3rd in order to kind of go along with the National Day of Prayer, which I think is like the weekend before. And uh, they're trying to, you know, bathe this whole effort into prayer and also give more time for people to sign up. They really want to try to get a million people signed up that are going to go ahead and post this evangelical message onto social media, hoping that it'll, uh, the, it'll hit the algorithms, go viral and over, you know, billions of people will end up seeing it ultimately. Um, and we need to be in prayer about that. I know that the evangelistic presentation that Jesse does on there is a little more charismatic than, than my sensibilities go. And, uh, <clears throat> so, um, I'd definitely be praying that it has the right effect when it goes out. Uh, to folks that it touches people's hearts. Do you know how many people they have so far? I don't. They don't have any kind of a counter or anything telling you how many are signed up for it. But I know his original goal was a million. And when he sent out the email saying they were extending it, it was because they didn't have enough people yet. So I'm wondering uh, how far, like, is that enough time or are they just not going to hit it? Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see, find out. But um, and then the other thing I want to encourage everybody to continue to pray each week that God will give you the opportunity to invite three different people to church. Um, It's not going to happen every week, but, you know, hey, if you don't pray about it and open up those opportunities and have God open those opportunities for you, it definitely won't happen. Um, But if you're consistent in praying about it and uh, pray each day that God will give you the opportunity to invite three people to church, um, those opportunities will not only will they appear, but you'll know what to do when the time comes. So uh, it's not it's not a big deal. I mean, really, you, you get in a conversation, you find out whether or not they're attending church right now. And if they're not, you invite them to your church. It's not complicated. Um, you know, you're not you're not getting them to pray a prayer or, you know, doing any kind of major gyrations through scripture or anything. It's just, hey, you know, if you're not going to church anywhere, why don't you try mine? So anyways, anything else you guys want to add to all that? No, I think you covered it pretty well. Good. All right. I appreciate you guys being on tonight. Um, It was always a good time to talk about scripture and things that are going on in life and and, uh, how the church can be a little more effective in our culture today. Bob, if you'd go ahead and close us out in prayer, I'd appreciate it. Sure. Our Father, um, we're reminded that uh, we're called to glorify your son. Um, not necessarily the political system, whether or not it's Democrat or Republican or 
but um, we have a, a definite role to play um, in the world, in society today, and that's to pronounce that uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that in you there is, is new life. In there you, you there is forgiveness of sin. Um, I pray that we will take this seriously, that we will make it a matter of prayer day in, day out, so that um, we would be prepared um, to invite people, to engage people upon what they believe and who it is that we have believed in, and that we might be a, a good spokesperson for you and point them in your direction. We know that we don't do the save and that you do it, and that you do the drawing through your Holy Spirit, but help us to be in contact with your Holy Spirit throughout the week, each day, so that through us, your Spirit may work and draw those that you have called. I pray that we would not be found at the end of this all said and done, that we would just be pronounced by you to be lukewarm, that we were neither hot nor cold. I pray, Father, that you would make us hot and that we would just be hot with your Spirit and that your Spirit would have control over all that we do and that we would walk by it and in it and live through it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I hope you enjoyed our discussion today and found it thought-provoking. The Upper Room is a Bible Fellowship Church production. The opinions discussed by our guests are just opinions and random thoughts at the time of recording and do not necessarily reflect the doctrine or stated beliefs of Bible Fellowship Church. Thank you.